So we're going to be in how you approach the Bible uh, today. Uh, maybe you approach it like that, hopefully not. Uh, as a quick note, um, my beautiful wife is 39 weeks pregnant, and she is in the room, so if she stands up and screams, uh, don't fear. We're just going to be wrapping things up really quickly if that happens. And we talked about maybe we can just bring the baptismal out, and we'll just do a water birth right here if that's cool with everyone. Um, is that good? Yeah, no, okay, good. All right, so we are in week three of our series that we're calling Something Nothing. And if you're here for the first time and you missed week one or week two, you are jumping into the middle of the story. Uh, you're jumping in kind of to the middle of the movie. And I'd say if, more than almost any other series that we do, this is a series where it's good to see the entire picture. And so I would encourage you, if you missed week one, week two, uh, go online, uh, check out those videos and, and watch the sermons. And so you can get the complete picture of what uh, we are talking about. And also, as Mike has mentioned uh, for the last couple weeks, is that we're borrowing some of this material from a series that Andy Stanley did uh, called Who Needs God? And I wanted to mention that this morning because when he preaches week three of, of his, uh, of his uh, message of this sermon series, uh, he goes to kind of a direction that I'm not going today. Um, and so there was, a lot of, there was actually a lot of criticism um, and I'd say almost outrage from churches from the sermon that he preached. So I'm thinking that's why Mike maybe asked me to to preach this sermon this morning. Uh, probably not, but, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to take a different approach. Um, so Andy and I, like we're best friends, right? Andy and, I, Andy and I aren't really going to agree on everything. And so there are going to be some things today that might make you feel uncomfortable. And I'll go ahead and say that. And so if you are someone who does their grocery list during sermons, I would say don't do that this morning. Uh, pay attention. Uh, don't go on Facebook, on Amazon. Uh, pay attention to the entire sermon. And I think we're going to reach something at the end that for many of you, maybe this morning, is going to allow you to take a step back into the faith that maybe you have lost a little bit of. Maybe to take a step back into that faith in God that maybe you're questioning at this moment right now. And so if, if you leave today and you have any concerns, uh, any questions, uh, I want you to know about this number. And so here's a number I want you to remember. Uh, this is Mike Holt's number. This is his real number. So if you don't have it, go ahead and put it in your phone and you can put it like first name I'm, last name Matt or, or something like that and call that number. If you have any questions or concerns, you can call me if you, if you want to. Please, please do. My, my number is in the program. Uh, this series, we're focusing on, on the internal debate, uh, the internal debate that I think we all have. And it's this debate on, is there something else out there or is there nothing? Is there a God that exists in this world or is there no God? Is there a higher authority or am I self-governing? Am I my own authority? And so you might ask yourself, you know, why do we even do a series like this in church? I mean, aren't we all God believers here? Maybe we think that, well, the stats show first off that there's a lot of people that arrive at church and that worship and that pray and that we're here at church. But the, the matter of the fact is, is that people question. And maybe there's people here this morning that really don't even believe at all. So that's the reality at first of where we're at. The other thing is that, is that many of you, Maybe you question at certain times in your life. See, maybe right now you're feeling good, but maybe you're in a moment right now where you are questioning. It's, it's, it, it's the times in our life where, where the world comes crashing in. It's the big times in our life uh, when divorce happens, when death happens in our family. And maybe we're standing in those moments and we question whether God exists. And we look towards the God and we're looking for an answers and maybe it appears silence. And maybe we're questioning, is there something out there or is really there nothing? And maybe if you're not in any of those categories... I can almost guarantee you that you have a family member, you have friends, you have sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters that are wrestling with this issue, that are wrestling with this idea of is there a God out there or is there not? Maybe they're wrestling with something in the Bible. And so we began our series uh, last week, or uh, two weeks ago that is, 
and Mike started it, and we began with this idea of new atheism. New atheism, and we're calling these people the nuns. They don't call themselves the nuns, but we're kind of calling them the nuns. And it's this idea that people are moving away from Christianity. They're migrating from Christianity, and in a sense, Christianity is losing its appeal with a, a large group of people. And the, the difference here, though, is they're not migrating towards atheism. And so we have about 25% of the population now represented by nuns. That is that, and they are kind of stuck in the middle is what we're saying. They are between religion and atheism. They're not going to completely accept God, but they won't deny God. And maybe they're actually really comfortable right here, really comfortable in this area of, well, we're just not going to really talk about it. We're not really going to discuss it. I'm, I'm good just living my life, not even thinking about if God exists or not. And so the reality is, is that there's something going on in the world, something going on in America where Christianity is losing its appeal with a, with a large group of people. And so I think we've got to ask ourselves why. Why is something losing its appeal? Now, don't hear me say that God or the Bible or anything like that are losing its appeal. I don't think Jesus is losing its appeal. I don't think any of that's losing its appeal. But I think there may be something with the church, maybe something with, you would say, religion that is causing people to maybe migrate away. And so we're, we're kind of calling these two different things. And we're calling this kind of the, de-conver- the deconversion uh, of people that, that move away from Christianity. Um, and here's the first one we talked about last week. It is a somebody told me so God. So if you're here last week, you heard my preacher sermon. And if, man, if you didn't listen to it, I would encourage you to do it. It's this idea that somebody told you something about God, and then you found that, that not to be true. So maybe t- somebody told you that God was a bodyguard, right? So God is a bodyguard. And it was this idea that may, as long as you followed God, as long as you followed his commands and his laws, everything in life would be okay. You know, nothing would ever hurt you. Uh, everything in life would be wonderful. And then something bad happened. And this idea that God was a bodyguard started to kind of fall away. And maybe you started losing faith in a God, what we said last week, that didn't really even exist in the first place. Maybe some of you, maybe somebody told you that God was, was anti-science. And so then something happened where you maybe started studying science and you started thing, seeing things that made a lot of sense. And that started rubbing against each other. And all of a sudden you're losing faith in an anti-science God. And we said last week, maybe you're losing faith in a God that never really existed in the first place. And so that was the whole idea of this group of the population. A lot of them are losing faith in a God that maybe the church talked about or maybe you talked about, maybe others talked about and said, God is like this. And they're losing faith in a God that never existed and not in the God that actually exists in the first place. And so this week we talk about the Bible told me so faith. All right, the Bible told me so faith. Uh, some of you know this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Do we know the song? If you grew up in church, what's the next line? For? Oh, we've got some church people. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but... Right, didn't we normally do this too when we were little? I did at least. Uh, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Sing it with me. Don't make me be the only person up here. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Yeah, it's one of the first songs we learned. When we were a kid, if you grew up, in, if you're thinking, man, what are these weirdos singing? Uh, you probably didn't grow up in church, and that's that's completely cool. But but we learned this in church. It's one of the first songs we learned, and I believe that that statement is true today, as it was true then. That the Bible tells me so. That Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. However, something sometimes happens. Sometimes when we move into adulthood, where the Bible tells me so, sometimes becomes not enough. And so I wanted to ask that question to you. Do you ever feel like the argument? The Bible told me so is not enough. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and, you, and you kind of feel like that. 
And the reality is, is that there's a group of the population, the nuns that we're calling, that are starting to lose faith in, in this religion and Christianity. And this is a big reason why. And here's what happens. As our faith in the Bible told me so begins to wane, begins to disappear, so does their belief in God. See, and when the Bible told me so begins to disappear, so does their belief in God. And so maybe they're looking at the Bible and seeing issues with inclusiveness. Or maybe they're seeing issues with gender equality. Or maybe they're seeing issues with inconsistencies. And these things are all making the conclusion that if the Bible told me so no longer measures up, then maybe the conclusion is made that God does not exist. And I've had a ton of conversations about Bible-related issues, and I can tell you that is the case for a lot of people. And so it usually looks something like this. This is the Bible told me so deconversion, or you could even say maybe for you, if you're questioning, it'd be like uncertainty. So it starts with tension. You see, tension is something we feel sometimes as a little kid. Maybe the Bible told you so, and maybe you sit in science class, and, and science is telling you something completely different. You know, and they, they were kind of these swear words that I feel like when, when I grew up in the church that I was told, like, don't even listen to when you hear these uh, big bang, uh, billions of years, evolution. And if you grew up in church, maybe those were like kind of the swear words for you. And I can remember as a little kid sitting in science class and, and kind of covering my eyes and covering my ears when these kind of concepts came up. It was like, well, the Bible told me so, the Bible told me so, the Bible told me so, so I can't listen to anything else that is being said here. Now, don't hear me say that these theories are the ones that you should follow, all right? I'm not saying Big Bang, I'm not saying that, don't, don't hear me say that. But what I'm simply saying is that there's tension that exists, isn't there? There's tension between maybe what the Bible says and maybe what science says. Maybe what the Bible says, maybe what somebody really smart says. And so this tension exists uh, maybe throughout elementary, middle school, high school, and something happens. Or maybe, maybe that faith you're able to hold on to it to a certain point, and then, well, then your environment changes. All right? And maybe you've been here. Maybe you can relate to this. Uh, maybe you move away from home. Uh, you go to college. Uh, you go to school. You're in classes. And a lot of times something happens to where that faith that was maybe strong enough when you're living at home and with your parents, well, well the Bible told me so sometimes doesn't measure up. So, well, my professor told me so. And sometimes the Bible told me so, but doesn't measure up to, to, to Google told me so. And you see, we get into this part where we're kind of debating the two. And, and I'll tell you, that that's the reason why we have a, max, a mass exodus of college students, I think, from the church. Is that they're carrying this very simple, Bible told me so faith, and a lot of times it just doesn't measure up to what they're hearing in school. You know, I spent one semester at, at the University of Florida. Go Gators, for all you Gator fans out there. Uh, and I, and I love my time for that semester. Um, it, it's crazy to talk about this because I was there for one semester and I experienced a lot. And I, so I can imagine that people that went to four years of a public university experienced a lot more than I did. And so I was there for one semester before getting my ministry degree. And I was sitting in general psychology class. It's one of the first classes that a lot of times college students take. And I was sitting there, and I was listening to my professor, and he was this Australian professor, and I loved listening to him because he, he had that really cool accent. But he was talking about this component of the eye. And I don't remember exactly what he was talking about, but he was talking about the eye. And in some way, he was trying to prove that this reflected that there was not intelligent design because something looked like it was almost a mistake. And so he said, like, almost very proudly, he's like, you see, that's why God does not exist. And I was like, oh. You know, it was one of the first times, like, I'd sat in a class and somebody who was a lot smarter than me is telling me something that I believed was wrong. You know, and I sat into other classes and other classes started talking about the age of the world and things that maybe the Bible told me so something different than what I was hearing. And something happens a lot of times when we're in these scenarios where the Bible told me so and then 
someone else has told me so, where we feel like we have to choose. You feel like you have to choose. And you feel like it becomes whether you trust in this very simple idea of the Bible told me so, or well, science told me so. You feel like you have to choose between the Bible told me so, or the world told me so, or somebody really smart told me so. And it's this kind of reality that I think, you know, Mike talked about um, the population of kids that we have, and maybe we start with like, a, you know, 100 elementary school kids, uh, and then when we get to middle school, it decreases, and high school, it decreases, and by the time they get to college, maybe like five or ten kids are left. And I really think it points to this reality that there's tension that's building, the environment changes, and then that all that they're left with, all that students are left with, is this simple idea of the Bible told me so, and it doesn't measure up. So where does that leave us? Uh, where does that leave us as a church? You know, and I think we as a church, and not, I'm not saying just Grace Community Church, but I'm saying as a church as a whole, uh, we need to have discussions like this. Uh, I heard from the first service, of people, some people told me, and they're like, you know, I've never heard that preached before. And uh, it's possible that this is going to be different than what you've ever heard preached before. We need to have discussions like this and real, honest discussions because we have a huge issue. Millions of college students are leaving the church. And I think a big reason is because of this. And the other thing is to be very real and say, yeah, some of us debate this question. Some of us are wondering, does God exist? Some of us are questioning things in the Bible. Maybe you have family members that are questioning things in the Bible. And here, here's what I want to say to all of that. And this, that's a big intro to basically say, I have really good news if you are questioning right now. If you have family members that are questioning right now. And here it is. More often than not, you or other people that you love, you might be losing faith because you believe something about the Bible that was never meant to be. All right? Maybe you're approaching the Bible in a way that it was never meant to be approached. Don't go away with this thinking that the Bible is fragile. Please don't hear me say that. I believe that the Bible and Christianity are not at all fragile. That the Bible can be absolutely trusted, can be a foundation of our faith. But there is maybe an adult way that we need to approach it that we never have before. And if you're sitting here with the simple, very, the Bible told me so faith, I'm telling you there is a more an adult way to approach this that moves beyond that simple statement. Moves beyond the close my eyes, close my ears of the Bible told me so. And so hear this. The Bible can and should be foundational to our faith. All right? Don't hear me say the Bible can't be that. The Bible can and should be foundational to our faith. But we might need to change our approach. We might need to change our approach. And I would say the approach is absolutely more biblical if we change it to that. All right. Is everybody with me right now? That was kind of a big introduction, and we're about to buckle your seatbelts. We're about to go really fast through a lot of stuff. Uh, no one's left, right? All right, good, good. That's good. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, we're going to see what the Bible says about itself, right? And I'm saying you might need to change your approach about the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says about itself. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. So all scripture is what? Is God breathed. What does God breathe mean? It comes from this word theonoustos. Can you say theonoustos? <laughs> no, I can't say that. Theonoustos. If you break this word up into two different parts, you have theo and noustos. Theo is our word for God. Maybe you kind of know that from theology, which means the study of God. So we have theonoustos. Noustos means breath, very literally breath. It's where we get our words like pneumonia from. And so theonoustos, it is God-breathed. What does God-breathed mean? 
That's a weird way to maybe talk about the scriptures. If you think back about the creation story, I think this is a great example for explaining this. If you think about the creation story, you know, it says in, in Genesis chapter 2 that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. It says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so what happened there? God inspired life, didn't he? He caused life into existence. Here's what we sometimes get wrong. Now, God did not take man and told him everything what to do, right? God was not the puppet master just directing man and everything he had to do. But he inspired life and then God, and then man acted on his own record, being inspired by God. This is what I think we need to take the Bible in the same kind of way. So here's our overall approach. The Bible is inspired by God, but not written directly by God. All right? The Bible is inspired by God, but not written directly by God. So that's saying God did not send us this book as we have it, and he wrote out all the words. God did not take a human, and as a zombie-controlled puppet, the human just wrote words and had no idea what he was doing. See, there's a human component into the Bible, and we have to realize that. So take this as an example. Uh, this is just a basic candle, and I upgraded from the first service because I started with this. See, So this is a nice big candle, and you can actually see it. So this candle is going to represent kind of the inspiration here. And the candle is just a candle until I put fire to it, right? And so when I take this match, this is going to represent the inspiration of God. The match will inspire something in this candle. Hopefully that doesn't burn the stage. Uh, the, the candle represents now something that's been inspired. Something that's more alive than it was before. And it's only because of the match that it's now inspired. And, and I kind of view the Bible like that to where God is like the match. You see, God inspired the words that we read. He inspired men to write these words down, but yet every single word was not directly controlled by God. Just as the fire is not directly controlled by the match, just as man is not directly controlled by God. And that makes sense, doesn't it? And so let, let's look at the different approaches that we sometimes have. And so if we start with that, and I want to see that overall approach. The Bible is inspired by God, but not written directly by God. This is going to be our overall approach of what we're going to look at. We're going to look at five different things, the five wrong approaches. Because sometimes when we say the Bible is written directly by God, every single word, then we jump to conclusions. All right? When we take the word of God written directly by God, we jump to certain conclusions that I think gets us into that Bible told me so type of idea. All right? So these are the five wrong approaches that we sometimes take when we say the Bible is written directly by God. Does everyone get that? Written by God, inspired by God. We get the difference? All right, about 10% of you nodded your head, so I guess we'll go with that. Uh, number one, all right, if the Bible is written by God, this is the wrong approach that we sometimes take, then the Bible must always be applicable. All right? If the Bible is written by God, then the Bible must, there's the key word, always be applicable. And this makes sense. If, if God doesn't change, and I believe that's true, if God doesn't change, then his words should never change if they're written directly by God. All right, so look at these examples. Leviticus 19.19 any Leviticus scholars out there? Have you all ever read Leviticus? It's a hard read, all right? Isn't it? All right, Leviticus 19.19. 19, it says, keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your fields with two kinds of seeds. You do that, JJ? Yeah, okay. Um, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. All right. Cotton, polyester, blend. Sinners out there. Right? I mean, we all wear that stuff. And so let, let's kind of talk about why. Exodus 21, 17. Here's another example. 
Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Parents, you want to put this back in place? You want to, you want to try this again? That might be a good thing. Uh, New Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11.5 But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Yeah. Lots of dishonoring ladies out there. It is the same as having her head shaved. Now, look, I'm, I'm poking fun because I'm saying that the Bible, if we believe as the written word of God, written directly by God, we sometimes assume that everything, everything that we read should be applicable at all times. And we jump into some problems when we have that belief. So here's, I think, how we should view it instead. Because the Bible, here's the difference, is inspired by God then the Bible is applicable not in every word, but in its truth. And y'all, this is very freeing because when we view the Bible as written directly by God, then we feel like God should not change and we see different things in the Bible, it makes it very confusing. It's freeing because God is not changing, but people who interact with God are changing. And so you see different people and different perspectives here. And so yeah, we worship way differently than people worshipped 100 years ago. Way differently than people worshipped 1,000 years ago. We wear different things. We do different things. There's different kind of laws. It doesn't take away from the truth of who God is. It simply tells you that some things are not directly applicable in the Bible. We all got that so far? All right, nod your head if you got it. All right, good. Here we go. Number two, if the Bible is written by God, again, written directly by God, every single word, then the Bible should contain modern science. Makes sense, right? If we come to that conclusion. God understands the world. He created the world. And surely he should be able to write about the world. Here's where we jump into some problems. Genesis chapter 1 verse 6. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault and separated the water under the, under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. All right. So here's what this is explaining. Here's the ancient understanding of the world. So there's an idea that the earth was flat and that there was this dome. What they called the vault, the firmament. And there was water above and water below. So when you think of things like rain, the way they understood rain, that rain would, rain would kind of seep through the firmament and go to the ground. And so that's the way they understood the world. Now, this can cause problems when we're trying to correlate that with what we now believe in modern science to be true. Now, tell me if it would make any sense if they were trying to explain thousands of years ago that the earth was round and moved around the sun. First off, people would be like, you are crazy. Like, you're crazy. Like, that, that's not to be. Like, I know that the earth is flat. Any, any flat earth theorists here? Okay, that's going around. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, but the earth is round and it revolves around the sun. And that would be crazy to say that 2,000 years ago. So, now let's take it, it as inspired by God. Because the Bible is inspired by God, then the Bible reflects the science that people understood at the time. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? God is trying to explain creation within the way that they would understand it, not in the way that we would understand it. So this is very freeing because the science of the Bible does not reflect God's knowledge of the world. God understood that the world was round. He understood that it moved around the sun. I promise you, he understood that. It doesn't reflect that. Um, it reflects humans' knowledge of the world at the time. So you see, the concepts of Genesis remain completely true. The order of creation, the beauty of creation, God's hand in creation, God's authority in creation— but the problem becomes when we try to put modern science within that and try to make it all correlate when it was even, not even meant to be that way. See, it was meant to be the ancient understanding of the world. Number three, if the Bible is written by God, we jump to the conclusion that the Bible is one big unified book. And so that's easy to, to get that, right? If there's one author and he wrote every single word, 
or we took a human zombie and they wrote every single word, then we should have one big unified thought. And the problem becomes when we see that the, book, that the Bible is really a library. It is 66 books. There are biographies, there are histories, there are letters, there are poetry, there is wisdom literature, there's all kinds of genres that is written by shepherds and kings and doctors, all kinds of people. And we have all of these different perspectives and all of these different genres. And so, like, if I gave you a medical textbook and then I gave you a poem, you'd read them differently, wouldn't you? If I gave you a letter than a poem, you'd read them differently. I believe we need to have that kind of perspective. It's the Bible that maybe we come to Kings and we read it differently than, than Psalms. And we read Revelation differently than Genesis because we have different perspectives, different authors here. And so, because the Bible is inspired by God, then the Bible contains different perspectives on God. And so this is very freeing, again, because we don't have to defend when one book of the Bible seems inconsistent with the other. Instead, we see different perspectives. Now, the truth in the Bible remains unified. You know, things about God, and there's certain things that remain completely unified, but there's going to be different perspectives, and we just need to be completely okay with that because there's different books. All right, number four. Is everyone still with me? Nod your head. All right, good. Uh, if you're not nodding your head, I don't know if you're with me. I'm just telling you. If the Bible is written by God, then the Bible should always be clear. Hmm. If the Bible is written by God, then the Bible should always be clear. Now, we jump to that conclusion again because God is clear. God's all-knowing. Surely he can make the Bible clear. The problem becomes the Bible's not always clear. And I give you proof by that by the many denominations that exist in the church today. The way that you and I and you and this person might, di like, might disagree on certain issues. See, the Bible's not always clear. We go to the Ten Commandments and we read, do not murder. We see it in the New Testament where Jesus says, hey, turn the other cheek. And so you might jump to the conclusion from that, all violence is bad, guns are bad, everything is bad about violence in, in any way whatsoever. And you hop over the, to the Old Testament again and you read that the Israelites, they came into an enemy city and they killed every person in there. So then we might jump to the conclusion, well, well I guess self-defense maybe is okay and guns are okay. You see how you can jump to two conclusions very quickly in the Bible. Because sometimes the Bible is not always clear. It doesn't mean that God is not clear, but sometimes the Bible is not clear because it's been touched by human hands, y'all. And so here's what we're going to say instead. And hear me, hear me clearly. A truth is not relative. All right? I don't want you to jump to that conclusion. Truth is not relative. God is not relative. God is not changing his mind. I'm simply saying that when the human beings have touched the Bible and have written these from the inspiration, we're seeing things that are sometimes unclear and sometimes it's hard to discern the will of God. So, because the Bible is inspired by God, then the Bible can sometimes be difficult to understand. And that's completely okay to say that, right? Because I, I can tell you, I've studied the Bible for seven plus years in school. It's not always easy to understand. It's why we learn Greek and Hebrew and we're trying to understand it even better. And it's freeing because it's okay to be wrestling with issues. And I love that point because you and I, again, must, might disagree on certain things. And you and you might disagree on certain things. And this church, and, and this church might disagree on certain things. You see, there's different perspectives on the Bible, and it's important to realize that we need to read the Bible as a whole, all of the books, all of the perspectives, read it within groups, talk to certain people, and not just read one verse and say, well, there you have it. It proves my point. Let me, let me hold on to that verse. See, the Bible, if it's inspired by God, is sometimes difficult to understand. All right, last one, number five. If the Bible is written by God, then as we have it, it should always be perfect. 
If the Bible is written by God, then as we have it, it should be perfect. If God is perfect, then surely his words are perfect. Here's the thing. The Bible that we have today, uh, the, the Bible that you hold into your hands, the way it was compiled, the way it was put together, is because of thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts that we have. Manuscripts written hundreds of years apart, thousands of years apart. We have thousands of manuscripts that we have collected, not me personally, but scholars have collected, and are then trying to discern what is the original book. What is the original book of James? And they look at all these manuscripts. And within certain times, these manuscripts are saying a few different things. Maybe there's a word that's reduplicated here. Maybe there's a word that's left out here. And we call these variants. And so there's a lot of different manuscripts, different variants. Here's one example. John chapter 8. Now this is a story of Jesus when he's drawing in the sand. You know, they bring out the adulterous woman. And he has that really like Jesus thing that he says. And it's pretty awesome where he's just like, you know, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And so I love that story. But here's what my Bible said, kind of direct from my Bible. And yours might say something like this. The earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. So what's that saying is that the earliest manuscripts we have doesn't really contain that story. So here's the reality of the situation. Then, if we took out John 7:53 through 8:11, does that change Jesus? Just let me ask you that first off. Does it change who Jesus is? Does it change that Jesus came and died for us? That He saved us? That He forgave? Does it change anything with that? No. Now, this story, I would tell you, I think is very true, and there's so many reasons I could tell you that, but if we took it out even from the Bible, it doesn't change Jesus. I've studied hundreds and hundreds of variants in the Bible. There's people that studied every single one of them. There are very, very, very few that really have any significance at all. Most of them are one word or an and there or a the there, make no difference whatsoever. And every single variant doesn't change anything about God anything about who Jesus is, any of the truth contained in the Bible. And so this is very, very important, y'all, because this is being challenged in our world today that the Bible contains these things and therefore you can't trust it. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying you absolutely can trust it. So because the Bible is inspired by God, then the Bible as we have it can contain mistakes. After all, humans have their hands on it. It's going to have mistakes. They spent time copying these manuscripts. It's freeing because we no longer have to defend perfection. And as I said before, like I've, I've encountered people, I've read stuff about people that are against God, against the Bible, and they love, love to point these things out. And they love to point out, well, the Bible's imperfect, so how can you believe in God? And it's very simple, because the Bible is inspired by God, it was touched by human hands, and as we have it, it contained mistakes. It doesn't reflect on who God is. I say all of that to say, also with the manuscripts, that what we have today with the Bible is incredible. Uh, when you compare them to ancient literature, Man, it pales in comparison to what the Bible has. We have thousands of manuscripts of it, as I said. Some that were written like years after Jesus died. We have so much reliability in the Bible that isn't even close to what some ancient documents have. And so you can trust the Bible absolutely, but these little imperfections here and there doesn't change the truth that's contained in it. Sarah and I, we visited the Grand Canyon uh, in the fall of the past year. Has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? A couple people out there, cool. Yeah, you just went, actually. Um, but, it, man, it was incredible. You know, we, and we heard uh, things about the Grand Canyon. We heard descriptions of, you know, here's what it's like. And, man, when the sun hits the valleys, it creates all of these colors, and it's beautiful, and, man, it's so enormous, it's big. And we took tons of pictures. 
And we started showing pictures to people and, and our family. We're like, man, look at this, look at this. And we made a comment, man, they all look the same. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't at all give it justice. And so we tried to like describe the Grand Canyon in words. You know, here's what the Grand Canyon looks like. And I'll tell you what, like, you don't know the Grand Canyon. You don't experience it. You can't really understand it until you've been there. You see, I think God is kind of like that. See, in the Bible, we have words that are trying to describe someone who is not describable. See, the Bible contains words where words simply fail when they're trying to talk about God. And the problem usually becomes, I think, when we're trying to say, hey, the Bible and, the God, and God are exactly the same thing. When we try to bring the qualities of God, because, yes, God is clear. God is perfect. God knows modern science. He knows all of these things. God is all of those qualities. But the problem becomes when we're trying to put the inspired word of God that was touched by human hands in the same category as God. And so we're losing faith, maybe in a Bible that was never meant to be approached in that way at all. And so I want to tell you, again, if, you, if you're kind of hearing me and you're uncomfortable at this moment, the Bible can absolutely be trusted. And we can spend an entire sermon on the reliability of the Bible, and I know Mike's kind of done sermons like that before. What I'm trying to give you is an approach that works a whole lot better than the Bible told me so. Uh, an approach that works when you hear college professors talk about issues, when you hear college professors talk about things that you've never heard brought up before. Uh, I did something like this with some of the high schoolers a couple years ago when, uh, when I was a youth pastor at that point. We called it Bible University. And I, and I went through a lot of different concepts. And I heard from a couple students a couple months ago, and this was kind of a year or two after that, where they basically texted me and they said, you know, thank you so much for talking about that stuff. You know, my professor just told me this. And, man, I had such a, a better perspective on the Bible because of that. We need to talk about this more in church. We need to be honest and open about what the Bible is. And, and I'm saying when you have this approach, Beyond the Bible told me so, and you have this approach that the Bible is inspired by God. And look at all the people that have written about God inspired by him and how incredible all of these books are. The Bible talks about who God is, who God's people are. Man, this approach is so, so much stronger than the other one. And so I've had to readjust a little bit of my approach with the Bible over the years because I came with a Bible told me so approach. And I can tell you, I have so much more respect for the Bible now. I rely on it even so much more because I have this approach and the approach that I think is super, super biblical and the approach that God had in writing the Bible for us. All right, let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for a church like Grace Community Church where we can maybe be very real mornings like this and have open, honest conversations. God, your, your word is so, so amazing. God, in my prayer, that, and I hope that I was clear in what I said, God, that we can trust it and we can put our foundation of our faith on it, Father. Help us approach it in the way, man, that, that, that lasts. God, I, I very much believe that the Bible will last forever, and I believe we need to approach it in the right way, the way that you meant for it to be approached. Father, we recognize both your hand in it and both humans' hands. God, thank you so much for the word and how it tells about you and your people. And Father, it's amazing to read it. Father, I can pray that we can be a church that has that foundation, a strong foundation of the Bible. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for paying attention this morning, y'all. Have a great week.